10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Hey everyone, I'm Darian Simone Harvin and you're listening to Am I Allowed to Like Anything, the podcast that talks to people about their work, their lives, and how they are maintaining their optimism in this world. So for this episode, I am actually in Chicago where I spent the weekend at Empower Her, which is a conference for women that's organized by 2190 and Blavity. And it was also my first time in Chicago and my first time moderating a panel, at least at that scale. So that was super exciting. And for anyone who listens to my lots like anything, you know that when I travel to new cities, I really like to interview people who are living there just to kind of get outside of my own New York bubble once in a while. So I asked Melissa Kimball if she would come on my podcast. Melissa is the founder of Black Creatives, which is an agency and lifestyle brand for young professional on Black Creatives. And she's also the marketing manager at Venture for America. I asked Melissa to come onto my podcast because she is really the person behind a brand and a community that people have come to love and seek knowledge from. But I feel like sometimes people don't know a lot about Melissa herself. So we talk about her upbringing, big moments of growth for Black creatives, her time at Ebony Magazine, and what she's focusing on right now. If you liked the episode, definitely rate it on iTunes and always, always, always join the conversation using the hashtag A-I-A-T-L-A. Actually, my first question is for you. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Has Chance the Rapper recorded in this specific studio? Yes. Nice. Melissa. Look at these vibes. Vibes. Yes. Oh my gosh. We have Lil Chano, Darian, yes. and Melissa. I love that. This is amazing. That's so dope. That was actually like the last issue that I worked on for Ebony was Chance on the cover. Oh my gosh. You know what? All of this, <laughs> I feel like I'm being so corny right now, but all of this is going to be, I feel like, maybe more of a full circle moment than we think. And the mm-hmm. listeners will figure that out as we continue to talk. But Melissa Kimball. I am so happy to have you here with me. So thrilled, humbled, really. To oh my be here gosh. With you. It is truly my honor. I think <laughs> that this kind of came at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. I'm here for Blavity's uh, Empower Her conference. Mm-hmm. My mom is also sitting yeah. uh, on the couch right next to us. Mom I'm, in the building. Yeah, yeah she's waving <laughs> right now. And my mom lives in Cincinnati. And I said, Mommy, come up and spend the weekend with me because I will be in Chicago. And we never, I don't see my parents as much as I would like to. Anyways, I'm really glad to have you here. Right now, you are living in Chicago. Right. Um, and I wanted to speak to you because you are somewhat, you are somebody who has held a nine-to-five mm-hmm. at a, not only at a company, but a a legacy right. company, a black legacy media company, mm-hmm. Ebony Magazine. Um, even before, I felt like you were stepping into this, you stepped into that role, you 
you had a nine to five job like Definitely. the rest, you know, <laughs> you haven't been doing this for the rest <laughs> for, since you jumped out of college. Right. But what you have been doing and the most consistent thing that you have been doing has been uh, black creatives mm-hmm. in hashtag BLCK creatives. Mm-hmm. And you have built this titan community mm-hmm. online of people who are really sharing and i felt like you've created a space for people to be very vulnerable mm-hmm. about yeah. their strengths and their weaknesses i think it's cool to be open and also vulnerable like about your strengths too is you know being okay with what you're actually good at anyways i'm rambling <laughs> i am really just happy to have you here with me and i wanted to have you on my podcast because i don't know how much people know about you Mm, that's a that's good that's pretty accurate yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know how much people know about you yeah you know um i don't know what kind of question based off what what i've what i've read i don't know what kind of questions people have have asked you Mm -hmm. a lot of it i know is just based towards hustle and like work ethic and stuff like that but yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah but like you know i think that something that people find out through my interviews or i'm hoping that they do is that it, that all comes from someplace, right? That right. comes from something that you uh, you work towards or, or inherit in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I always start out with the first question. Okay. How did you grow up and what was life like for you growing up? Yeah. So, uh, again, thank you for having me. Super humble. Loved the podcast from day one. So I'm you, super yeah, I know. Excited. You're like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> super excited to uh, to be here with you and to speak, be speaking with you. Um, so yeah, so how I grew up, I was born here in Chicago, was here till I was about nine years old. At the time, my mother's family, I was pretty much brought up in a single parent household, mm-hmm. my mom and my older brother. Um, and at the time when I was younger... A lot of my mom's side of the family lived here. So I had, you know, all of my aunts at one point lived here. So I have, I like to say four aunts, but three are only living. But at the time, all of them stayed here in the city. Um, my grandma was is was also here. And uh, we pretty much grew up pretty close when I was younger. We, you know, had such a big family. All of my, you know, aunts had a lot of kids. And then my uncles, some of his kids were here as well. Um, and so we, you know, spent a lot of weekends, like, with family, mm-hmm. um, which was so much fun. I really do miss that. Um, but, yeah, I just grew up very, I was a very shy child, very, very um, smart. My mom was really adamant about teaching me to read from an early age. So she started teaching me when I was, like, two. And so from there, that kind of, like, spung out my just love for learning and love for reading across the board and also mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we moved from Chicago when I was about nine years old, I think it was. Yeah, nine. Do you remember um, why you guys moved? My mom got married. Okay. Um, and my stepdad is from, her and my stepdad are from the same small town in Mississippi, Grenada, mm-hmm. Mississippi. And she didn't, he didn't want to live in Chicago. She didn't want to live in Mississippi. So Memphis was <laughs> the compromise. <laughs> I don't even, I still to this day don't know how that was a compromise, but for them, that's what it was. Um, and so my brother, um, had just graduated from high school. And so he stayed here in Chicago. Me, my mom, and my stepdad moved to Memphis. Um, I remember, like, being in the moving truck, like, crying all the way down to Memphis. Like, oh I did not want to go. I didn't want to leave anybody. Um, but it turned out to be a really great experience. And so I kind of 
got a little time in Memphis to to act as if I was the only child, which ended up being a lot of fun because <laughs> I had a really big imagination too as a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you like about Memphis? Like, did you like the school you went to? Did you like the kids who you were around? Like, mm-hmm. I will definitely say that moving to Memphis from Chicago probably saved me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways because my grandma now like where she lived and we we used to live like in the suburbs we were often in the city a lot Mm -hmm. but you know Chicago as a whole as a city especially in the black brown neighborhoods it can get a little tough and so when I when we right before we moved down south we moved in with my grandma and I had to go to a school a different school so like my Younger elementary years, it was really, like, very diverse mix of children, like, white kids, black kids, Asian kids, very open, very friendly environment. When we got to the city, that kind of switched. And so I remember being in third grade, and when I took, like, tests for placement, my reading scores and my English scores were, like, too high for me to be in the third grade class. So when everyone else would have to switch, I would have to, well, not have to switch. I would have to go to another, to another classroom, classroom with older kids. Okay. And so I got teased a lot, actually, um, in my third grade class because I was so smart. And then I got teased in the older, older class because you were younger. Yeah, because I was the youngest one. Um, and so that was a really interesting time. So when I got to Memphis, it was a little bit more... Um, diverse and a little easier to navigate like all of my teachers were really helpful and I was able to kind of um, interact more with children who were intellectually on my level and mm-hmm. I think that um, I think that honestly ultimately saved my life because it, yeah. w- it would have been rough for me in the city um, and like so. just also saved your like self-confidence too mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. things that you had your mom had instilled in you through right. reading and learning mm-hmm. and so I, I, I kind of sent this to you is that before we talk about like black creatives and everything that you're structurally like visibly, tangibly doing now, yeah. I really like to get to the core of how people even become interested in, in what they're doing, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to me, a lot of it is, yes, we call it social media now, but what led up to that in terms of interest? Yeah. You I, know? Yeah. And I always think that's kind of a weird question because when we were... When exactly. we were 18 years old, <laughs> I, you couldn't have told me I no. would be do, no, even sitting here recording a freaking podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? And who even knows what we're going to be doing in three years? I, we don't know what kind of companies are going to be around. Right. We don't know what positions are going to be around. Mm-hmm. So and if you would have told me that I would have been running like uh, Ebony's social media channels, like that was never part of the plan. I literally stumbled into in, into it. Yeah. Do you still consider yourself a shy person? I do. I do. I think you make a really good, you know, I know you said it earlier, like a lot of people really don't know me because not only am I a shy person, but I also like to be a cheerleader for other people. Yes. Or if someone is doing something that I like really love and really respect, they're like, hey, you know, do you know, you know, someone can ask me something about me and I can literally turn it flip it to be about them in like a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. 
I really don't know where that comes from, but I definitely, I would say I'm a, a shy person. And so even, you know, with recent years and the different positions have changed and jobs have changed and have given me more, more visibility, I've really been kind of struggling like, all right, how much of me do I want to share, you know, and put on blast and how much do I want to keep for myself? So I would, yeah. So where did you go to college? Uh, University of Tennessee at Martin. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you liked it? Uh <laughs> nah, it was it was one of those things where it was like the last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally didn't know I was gonna go there until maybe two and a half months before the semester started. I wanted to go to Howard, mm-hmm. um, but we didn't have the money. You know, I was the first person in my family to go to college, and so we didn't know about like student loan process. Again, my mom, you know, having been a single mom and transitioning to having a family and and moving and um. We just didn't know a lot about the college application process. You know, there wasn't a lot of info, as much info and help out as there is now. Mm -hmm. And so didn't have the money to go to Howard, didn't have the money to go to Hampton, didn't have the money to go to Clark Atlanta. One of my cousins um, from high school went to the University of Tennessee at Martin, and I found out about the school through her, and I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, two hours away from Memphis, at least I'm still out of the city. It was more affordable for me mm-hmm. to do. Um, and so I just did that. And um, I I enjoyed it. It definitely was a, it's a, Martin, Tennessee is so small that the college is pretty much the town. The town. Mm-hmm. And so you, from there, you kind of had to just, you know, really make your own opportunities. If you really wanted to do something, you just kind of had to do it. Yeah. Um, How many years ago did you start, at least at that time, was mm-hmm. my creative connection? Yeah, so 2010, actually, was like the first, I guess you could say, phase um, okay. of it. Okay, so 2010. Yeah. I want you to think back to where you were in your life at that time and tell me about <laughs> it. I was so depressed during that time. I remember college, like towards the, I think towards the, my, like my seat, like, well, no, I'll say junior year was cool. Once I got to my senior year, I was um, working part time. I had a full time load. I had a, a boyfriend who played football at a college like two hours away from me. Well, no, like an hour away from me. I had an internship. I was still president of the Delta chapter, still doing stuff on campus. So by the time I got to the end of the fall semester of my senior year of college, I was like burned out. So by the time the spring came, I could have literally rolled out of college. Like I was that tired and that exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) And um, no, because it had gotten really bad. Like I I had like stopped answering like phone calls and stopped going out. Like my mom literally, she'll enjoy this story, had to come up to campus, like two hours away from Memphis to like come to my apartment and say like, what's going on with you? Like, are you okay? What's up? Um, So 2009 was just a rough year. You know, the recession hit. Yeah. So jobs were non-existent. Um, Everything that I applied for, I didn't get. And so I came back to Memphis, um, couldn't find a job, especially not in media um, in Memphis at the time. It's a little better now. But Mm -hmm. back then, wasn't really a lot of opportunity. And so I actually started working at FedEx. Like, I needed money. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was doing manual labor Throwing boxes, loading airplanes. I was coming home dirty every loading day. Loading airplanes. Loading Ooh. airplanes. Like, 
the FedEx planes that you see in the sky. I, yeah, I used yeah. to help. I used to help load. He's those. nodding in the back and he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you, so you understand the struggle. You, yeah. I mean, just you know, picking up extra shifts, like when it got cold and holiday season was crazy. So. I just, I was not doing, like, really doing a lot in my life that I felt like was true to what I really wanted to do. And I have been writing and working with the online publication called J Magazine. It was started by um, a friend of mine, Michael Jones. And I was, you know, working with him and still kind of feeling like, okay, I need to do something, like, in between time. You know, Mm -hmm. granted, I'm not working in my field, but... I got to keep these skills sharp some kind of way and had had the idea first to start a blog about black authors and review their books. But then I wanted to do interviews and wanted to tell stories. Um, I just really needed, I think for me, it was just like, I need to interview people who are in positions or that I want to be in or are doing things that they love so that mm-hmm. it can keep me going. Yeah. So it was really kind of a a plight to keep you motivated mm-hmm. too. Like you were just looking for a way. Yeah. That, I think that's really interesting. I, and I think that's really good too, is that sometimes we create things because we want other people to pay attention, right. Right. but you really created this because you needed it for yourself. Exactly. I think that's a really good point. And I'm, I hope people have, have written down or observed that and mm-hmm. write it on their palm or something. But anyways, continue please. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and that's a that's a that's a good thing too. And I, I honestly, while we're having this conversation, I didn't even realize that that's what I had done at the time. But you know, I didn't. A lot of my, um, even the people, a lot of the people that I graduated with, everybody's major was like the people closest to me. Everyone had different majors. So like my line sister was like in education. Another one was like in HR. So you know, everyone else had all these like structured like yep. plans and jobs, yep. and I'm just kind of out here, you know, working at FedEx and and writing on this blog and you know trying to stay as active as possible. Um, because again, there wasn't anyone around me who was doing what I was doing, and so mm-hmm. I needed to to channel that in some kind of way. And so that's how it started. What do you believe it was about yourself, a characteristic about yourself that even just allowed you to start it, period, and to keep it? Do you feel like you were consistent at first? Like, I'm kind of into, like, the ups and downs Mm -hmm. of starting it. And then I also want to know, like, a win, like, a big win, whether it was um, with, like, with audience growth, you know? Because that's the thing that I'm kind of interested in is, like, you have really cre- uh, created like a very active audience. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the thing that always sticks out to me is everyone who who participates in the chats or is 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 reading on the site or is following the Instagram. It's like people who are genuinely very vocal mm-hmm. and passionate about what they do, mm-hmm. and it's not. It doesn't feel fake to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't feel. Like there's some hidden agenda, mm-hmm. and so I'm so now I'm rambling. But to get back to my to my point, at, at least when you were starting, what do you think was like the number one key to growth? I would definitely say for for me, being consistent on social media, and that wasn't like social media as a whole, but Twitter mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah, Twitter during that um, time too. Yeah, even. Even if I only had like a hundred plus followers, um, 
I made sure to like tweet out like all the interviews and mm -hmm. that I was doing and like tag people and just talk to people. I mean, kept it really simple, but I always I always stayed on Twitter from the very beginning. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's so easy now to engage with people is because I've been doing it for such right. a long time. So now it's it's um natural and to your point about, you know, the engagement feeling really authentic. A lot of what you see on black creatives is stuff that I stuff or people or ideas or experiences that I'm genuinely interested in. Yeah. And so when I'm sharing that, um, I think it's easier for people to connect with that because it's not like, um, oh, I'm interviewing this person because they're hot or because it's trendy or because it's like, no, I really want to learn something about right. you know whoever I'm speaking to. Um, and I think that 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 makes um, a difference too. And I think a, a win for me, I think early on was, um, this was like 2012. So I, I moved from Memphis um, to Atlanta again. And I'm glad that this, this time this move is going to be different. But for the past like recent years or recent moves, I've always been like really stressed out. And then that's forced me to move mm. and go to somewhere else. And so when I left Memphis, had just got my heart broken, was like devastated, mm -hmm. needed to just get out of the state of Tennessee and went to Atlanta. And I was um, on a webinar or I don't, I don't even think they had started calling these webinars not, not then, <laughs> but some sort of class or course that Demetria Lucas was doing. And oh I my was, gosh, Demetria Lucas. Shout out to Demetria <laughs> Lucas. She look, we could have a whole podcast Shout interview out to Demetria Demetria for real. Um because I was obsessed with like Abelle in Brooklyn. Like mm -hmm. I loved the blog like so much, loved her writing and had took some sort of course and she had got to the end of it and was like letting people ask her questions and I was like, hmm, I wonder if she would let me like interview her for the site even if it's not on the phone maybe I can just do an email and she agreed to do it and for mm -hmm. me that was like huge because I was like oh my god like Demetria does this she does that like yeah. I was just was such a fan of her work and so being able to feature her on the blog for me like especially that early on I we didn't really have much of a following but I was I was super excited about that because yeah. that was the first time when I was like oh okay so people people really do care mm -hmm. like okay so and uh, do, uh, something that I am honestly interested in but specifically with black creatives just because because of the actual like active community is mm -hmm. I am curious about like how you grew it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know with the context of it actually being super active. I think that there is a lot of focus on how many followers you have and all these things, mm -hmm. but I am actually really interested in if you felt like there were like milestones of audience growth. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is such a nerdy, like Buzzfeed <laughs> question, but like <laughs> I am interested to know if, do you remember like doing something right and being like, okay, People are attracted to this. The people who I want this to reach, they're, it, it's hitting that atmosphere. Do you remember those times or those hacks or techniques at all? Yeah, I would definitely say the Twitter chats um, yes. immediately worked. Um, you know, I had been doing a lot of, you know, I, well, I, think, I will say one thing that definitely helped was having a really great relationship with everyone that I featured. 
Mm, on the blog so they were more inclined to share it and pass it along and I think again because black creators are such an extension of who I am Mm -hmm. um, I think that it makes it easier for people to kind of slip in and just engage with it but be themselves at the same time I'm never like trying to force anyone to to be anything or do anything they don't want to do but I would definitely say the Twitter chat so that was like 20 2015 when we started the Twitter chats and there was um there were I had seen because I had been like freelance doing freelance social media work at this time and had been seeing these like interviews basically on Twitter mm-hmm. was what I thought they were but I was seeing like very like basic kind of surface level like how to grow your brand in 3 days or just some like a lot of fluff mhm and I'm like, man, wouldn't it be cool for if we could just have like a real conversation about the issues that we face, you know, as, especially as black creatives, because a lot of the access and opportunities that our counterparts get, we don't get. And a lot of the things that we have to, to deal with, um, we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not talking about graduating from, you know, graduating from college, getting a degree, and then you have to go do manual labor for two years. Like, we just weren't having those types of conversations. Right, like being honest about those conversations. Yeah, being honest and just being really open about how just being a creative in itself is not easy. But then, you know, again, black and brown people, we have different issues that we kind of have to deal with, either if it's from our family's expectations or the system or just trying to find or navigate our way. Um, and I just felt like we weren't really talking enough about things that could really help us. And so we did the, and I, and I, and the, well, the Twitter chats really started off as like, okay, let's just do this one. It was never <laughs> supposed to grow into like a series. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's just do this one. Um, we had just featured Andrea Lewis on the blog. And so I thought she would be a great one. And we pulled in, um, a few more people. So I'm like, okay, we'll just do, um, you know, owning your creativity. Like, what does that, what does that mean? And what Mm -hmm. does that look like to, to you to own what you're about and own your mission? Um, and we did that first one. It was really cute. Can't remember the numbers that we got. Mm -hmm. And then it was over and people just kept saying, so when's the next one? And I was like, oh, next one, you want another one of these? Oh. Okay, so let's... Okay, all right. Okay, cool. So let's let's just do one for May. Like, let's just schedule yeah. one for May. And then it was like, oh, oh okay. More feedback, more engagement. Mm, okay, let's just... All right, let's just schedule one for June. And then July came. And then August came. And then 2017 came. And it just kept... <laughs> they yeah. just kept going and yeah. going and going. But sometimes I feel like you have them weekly. It feels like that. I don't know why no. I feel that. Sometimes you have them once a month. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I had to limit it because it, it just takes, it's such a, on the back end experience of it to like manage right. four people, like four guests. Um, plus, you know, the black creatives, because I run it through the black creatives um, account, chat, account mm-hmm. of course. But to manage like four guests and then to manage all the conversation around it and engage with people, um, it's a lot. And so, but the doing it once a month too also helps to really build up anticipation for it. So yeah. now people are like, okay, I know it only happens once a month. I don't want to miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that helped. And I think each time too with, you know, making sure that each of the, each guest that's a part of the chat um, has their own like unique story and unique personality. I 
was very always intentional from the beginning that whoever was a part of the Twitter chats that um, they just were their own person. Yeah. And they felt really genuine and really real and just very, you know, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. Very unapologetic about it. Um, and that's made a difference, too, because each, you know, each Twitter chat, you're experiencing four different people, four different viewpoints. Um, and doing that and really engaging with the guests on the back end, that's helped a lot with growth mm-hmm. because now people you know, not only do they invite their network, but then they also invite, you know, people that they want to either, um, you know, pitch stuff to or partner with. So it's become like this, this, I don't know. Uh, Kind of ongoing will. It's beyond the, it's beyond just the chat, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now let's go back to Ebony. Okay. And you said that it fell into your lap and I have a feeling Correct me if I'm wrong. If it has to do a little bit with running black creatives. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about Mm -hmm. that and and also, yeah, let's start there. Yeah. So I was, um, right before I got to Ebony, I was actually freelancing at the time. I, um, so when I say like black creatives helped, you know, people would see like, so who, who built this site? You know, who's doing the interviews? Who's running the Twitter chats? Like, who's doing this? And it, I've, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so um, when I needed, so there's those, like, rough patches throughout my career where I kind of needed either freelance work, I just needed a quick job, and I would, you know, a lot of times meet people on Twitter, we would build a relationship, and then they would start to refer me to yeah. different positions and different things. And so I started to get internships that way, and, like, um, I was managing social media for another company called Surprise Ride at one point. And, yeah, so I was in Chicago and, again, still doing a lot of freelance work and went to – and this is the great thing about networking – um, even though like now it's such like a fishy, shady subject, but I was invited to be a part of a speed, like mentoring event mm-hmm. as a guest, again, from an organization that I started to follow on Twitter and started going to their events and started meeting people and was a, like a lead mentor for the event. Um, and at that time I was like, I'm not even a mentor, but I'm gonna do it cause it's. It's free pizza, and it's a chance to, like, True. Ne- yeah, right? Talk to, you know, talk to other women in the city. And literally met, um, who became one of my coworkers, Latoya Cross. Met her at the event. Um, she was really excited. She was like, I, I don't really see a lot of black and brown people in social media. Like, this is really cool what you're doing. And then, again, had known about black creatives, knew that I had, you know, ran that platform, and had built that platform on my own. And, you know, we just kind of, you know, we did the whole we'll keep in touch thing. And then we didn't really keep in touch. But she hit me back up a couple of months later and said, you know, hey, um, there may be a position to come open. Would you be, you know, here, would you be interested in coming in? And so I, I went in and I had a a different series of, of really, like, never did an interview Mm-hmm. It was a lot of meetings. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how intentional that was on my boss's part, but um, for me, the feelings were always really like casual because at the time I was already still holding down two freelance jobs, so I wasn't necessarily looking for a full time job. But I'm like, 
it's ebony, so right. <laughs> I'm not gonna like brush that off. And yeah, so that was like September. We started September 2015. We started having conversations about it, and then they made me an offer um, December 2015, and I was there until the beginning of May this year. What did you like the most about being at Ebony? The history mm-hmm. of it. Um, very familiar with uh, John H. Johnson's story. Um, when I first got to Chicago from Atlanta, I actually didn't really, at that time, didn't really know my way around Chicago, but I, you know, Google and Google Maps. And so I actually went to the old building that he had here. And when I found out that that wasn't where they were, I just went to like where the office was. Just because I just I wanted to see it, I'm like I'm mm-hmm. in I'm finally in the city with Ebony Magazine. I'm just gonna go stalk it, not even knowing that like a, a year or so later I would end up there. Um, but yeah, for me, just you know, the legacy of the brand had been reading Ebony and Jay. I mean, had been just growing up with the magazine. You know, my grandma and both of my grandmas, my granddaddy. Um, were very into Jet, um, like the little weekly magazines. And then I remember reading Ebony, like getting my hair done when I was a kid. But being able to actually go like to the company and go through the archives, like touch them, go through the old magazines, see the photos, see the history, like that was the that was the best part yeah. for me. Okay, so Ebony has caught a lot of heat. Mm-hmm for not paying their writers. Right. And it's been quite documented. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten people really angry, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I want to know, like, how do you feel about that as someone who worked at the company, loves the company, loved mm-hmm. working there, wasn't connected in any way with paying writers, right. I wanted to say. Right. But I, I, I don't know, I kind of, to be at that intersect, that crossroads, I want to know what you thought, what you think about that. I, it's, it's just for me, very heartbreaking and very frustrating that this was even happening. You know, mm-hmm. again, this staple in black media. I mean, when you read when you read John H. Johnson's book and the way he talks about, you know, why he created Ebony and all the work that he had to put into it to to start, um, and the way he basically changed and set a standard for like black media that you see today. Um, I feel like it's 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 really a a tragedy. Um, it's just really disappointing to see. It was even disappointing to find out that that situation was way worse than what I initially thought it was. Like, I how did knew, you find that out? How did we find that out? I just in the in the last months that we were there, we just kept getting more like the volume of complaints we would receive threats mm. we would receive kept getting kept just growing like mm-hmm. more and more I didn't realize it was such an issue really until after we left and then info started coming out about specific numbers but I know like me personally um with like the past couple of months that I was there had been working anyway to try to get a raise Mm-hmm. Because I was um, underpaid, I don't have I don't have any issue with like admitting that or being mm-hmm. honest about that. Um, but I and I knew that there was some financial stuff going on then, but I didn't know it was that bad. But it's just it's really heartbreaking. It's really unfortunate, especially when you think about 
you know, the stigma around black businesses anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, to see some to see a brand that's supposed to be such a beacon for us to not pay writers. It's just it's never made any sense to me, but um yeah. Do you feel like the people who could have done more were doing what they could? No. No. Um, I feel like <laughs> I'm a, I'm trying to not be petty. Um, I feel like there are there are people there were people there who did everything that they could, who mm-hmm. went above and beyond, but once you get to a certain level, there's only so much that people on the mass head can do in magazines. Yeah. So once you start to get out of that area and you start to go up into like the C-suite and the different departments, I don't, I can't say in faith that, um, or in confidence that I, I feel like they were doing everything they could, could do. I mean, I know that they're trying to correct it now, but from, from what I can remember, I don't, I don't think that they were doing everything they could do. That's disappointing. It's super disappointing. I'm like looking down at my computer right now, like I'm looking down at my feet. Yeah, it's it's super disappointing. Um, there's just I don't know. There's just a lot to be said about the I don't want to call them gatekeepers, but it's just a it's a different the older generation, different generation that you know came through the company. It's just uh, mm, okay. Yeah, you know. So had a hard time. You felt like maybe connecting with the issue. Very much so. Very much so. Interesting, because money feels so relative, <laughs> doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> right. So you were, so you, how long were you at Ebony for? Uh, for a year and okay. like almost a year and a half, okay. actually. It felt like three. So. And talk a little bit about, you were laid off mm-hmm. along yep. with, uh, do you remember on that day who, uh, was it like the social media team? Did you see it coming? Um, no. So, No. It was a complete surprise. So, and it was actually the pretty much everyone on the the uh, editorial team. Okay. Um, with the exception of like some copy editors. But no, it didn't didn't have any clue. Um, one of my coworkers in New York, we used to G chat a lot, and she just like that day was like, "Yeah, I think something weird is going on." Like. I'm not sure what it is, but, like, something in the office just feels funny. And so just we had, like, you know, had came to work and did our little what we do in the morning. And then afternoon came and just people just started getting laid off. And 
we just we didn't have any clue. So, and it there wasn't really a social media team. It was like me, mm-hmm. um, and then we had one person on Jet. And then once they decided to go a different direction with Jet, she moved over under me for Ebony. But um, yeah, no clue, no heads up. Yeah. After that happened, what did you decide your plan was going to be? I was going to work all my options, right? So I I think for me, a lot of people were like, yeah, so now you can do Black Creators full-time and you can do... And I was like... (laughs) Yeah, y'all don't y'all. know my life. Like, but that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be great, though. That, w- that would have been incredible. That right. would have been made a, a heck of a story. Um, but it just wasn't realistic mm-hmm. for me at the time. Um, but it was a, a avenue that I did want to explore more. So I thought, okay, well, maybe this will give me more time to really push into developing the business side of Black creatives. But I still wanted to um, to work in some official capacity with another company. Again, because financial stability for me is a big thing, especially right. coming from a single for me parent. As well. Yeah, coming from a single parent household, and then um, I just had a lot of times in life where I've been super broke, and so um, that's just not something that I want to go back to. And I'm still, and even with the the layoff, it was so unexpected. Like I didn't have any time to save any money, right. so that was a factor um, too. So I just said, you know what, I'm just gonna work all of my options. I'm going to continue building black creatives, but I'm also going to reach out to my network, like let them know I'm looking for jobs, try to secure more freelance work. Um, that was just my plan to work, you know, all angles. And so I felt like the, the right opportunity or the right door appeared. Yeah. And so now, I mean, I don't <laughs> want to announce it for you, but now you are, Leaving Chicago yes. and moving to <laughs> New York City. I think that's really awesome. And you told me before we started that you felt like it's the right time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I, I've been hearing a lot too, like, move to New York, move to New York, move to New York. It'll change you. It'll do X, Y, and Z for black creatives. And I always was kind of like, I don't know, y'all. Like, I've, I've made a lot of leaps already. I leaped from, literally leaped from Tennessee to Atlanta, Atlanta to Chicago. Like, I just was kind of like, maybe, you know, I'm done just, like, taking big risks. But, no, I definitely was, feel like I'm being led to New York. It wasn't something that was on my radar. I mean, you know, May 4th, I was in Chicago working at Ebony. I was pretty much straight. Um, and then the next day I didn't have a job. So it was kind of like everything was just up for grabs. And this opportunity in New York just presented itself. John from Blavity. Shout out to John. Shout out to John. Yes. Sent me over um, a position at Venture for America. And I was like, wow, like this looks really cool. It's like it'll be something really interesting. But not honestly, not even thinking that I would get the job. But I was like, I'm not going to like not at least try, put my name in the hat um, for it. And so it, it worked out. So so what is your dream right now? What is still the thing? You're certainly moving into a new phase in your life. Mm-hmm. But I'm still interested to know, what are you still reaching for? What is that Ooh. thing, you know, that is still on your mind that you still want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So I still want to write books um that's something that I have not been able to pay any attention to for the Mm -hmm. past like 
four years. Um, also, can I say that the newsletter? I love I love the newsletter Thank because you. you are such a good writer. Thank you. It's so vo- Thank such you. your that voice. That means a lot because you're so bomb. Like <laughs> it's very therapeutic. It's mm-hmm. very. I'm like, whenever I get this newsletter, I'm like, I know Melissa is just gonna pour her heart out in this <laughs> newsletter because that's the only. And I'm gonna get my life. That's yeah. like the only opportunity I get for people again to right. to feel me because everything. And I think it's a gift and a curse that Black Creatives is not like a personal brand, so I that see. like yeah, you know, so like. If I talk about black creators, I don't have to talk about myself. It's not like something that's built around me and my face and who mm-hmm. I am. Um, but then that's also a curse because then people are like, but we don't know anything about you. Like, yeah, you, you built it, but like, who are you? Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely, um, I've always wanted to write a book. And I'm like, if I can just write one I would be satisfied, but that's definitely like the one big thing that's like always in the back of my head. Like, yeah, like a fiction a book. book or a memoir. Definitely fiction. Cool. Definitely fiction. All right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> well, now we know what's coming, what's in the works at some point. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you said it on this podcast. Uh-oh. Accountability. <laughs> All righty. So I have one segment in my podcast called the Plus One segment. Mm-hmm. You can shout out a person, place, thing that you are loving right now, or it could even be something that you're paying attention to in music, a person, um, a film, just something that you are really appreciating in this moment. Yeah. Um, so I'm really appreciative of Drew from Instrumental. So Instrumental is a clothing company that's based here in Chicago, um, and He's just been one of those people through his, like, his work. I've, you know, featured him on the blog um, on Black Creators as well. Um, but he's just been one of those people who, the creepy thing about Black Creators is that a lot of people that you see that's featured on the site, I've been watching for years. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah, all. like, I know your, like, backstory. Like, I've, I've watched you grow. Right. Um, but that's the thing, though, and that's why you feature them, because you mm-hmm. have that editorial insight mm-hmm. of these are people on the come up who other people who other people are going to want to know about. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and, I mean, I just, I love everything that, you know, Instrumental stands for. Um, the brand is very... It just has, like, a very revolutionary feel to it. So it has, like, a mix of, like, history, but also culture infused into the clothing, into the brand. You know, I just, I'm a big believer in, like, cultivating the energy that you have around you and in your circle. Mm -hmm. And he's just been one of those people who's definitely held me accountable and is always like, yo, don't get caught up in this block. Yeah. Don't get caught up in this blog stuff. In like this blog it's, world, it's fame yeah. Because yeah. it's it's really more about the work and really totally. about helping people and pushing people forward. So yeah. shout out to Drew. <laughs> I feel like my guests always come on my podcast with these amazing plus ones, and I'm like, I just want to shout out my nail polish. <laughs> but no, but seriously, my plus one, I'm I'm gonna stick with my brand. I just wanted to shout out barbecues for the summer. Mm. Yes. I love coming together with friends, Mm -hmm. with meeting new people, with food that your friends made. I'm so excited about New York barbecues, by the way. Yes. I, my favorite summers, I mean, 
every summer of mine has been amazing in New York because it's New York, but such an integral part of them have been barbecues mm-hmm. and people who have opened up their home to me to meet their friends, mm-hmm. for me to make new friends, for me to try their food, even though I bring one bottle of rosé, which <laughs> I don't do any longer and contribute in a more adult way. Oh. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that I I just am really excited for barbecues this summer because I'm really I'm really excited to fellowship with my friends and to laugh and mm-hmm. to be outside. To be outside feels so yes. good. Like yes. I hate getting on the computer now. Yes. It's so nice out. You know, I actually have another plus one. I want to shout out um, Brown Girls, which was filmed mm, here. Yes. Because yes. Brown Girls has been picked up by HBO. HBO. I saw that and I was like, wow. And yes, I want to shout out Brown Girls. And I'm, I'm, I am blinking on the the names of the two main characters, but I'll be mm-hmm. sure to to put it in the in the podcast. But the the kind of series, the first season is on um, is on Vimeo, mm-hmm. and I just I, I loved it. I loved the relationship between the um, the black girl in the show and then the girl who is from uh, I believe some part of South Asia. I don't want to say exactly which country, but she, um, just mm-hmm. to see their, the two, a black and a brown girl who, yes, yeah. that relationship where their, where their culture is kind of intersected in a way, but they all, but they also mm-hmm. had a very common sisterhood. Yeah. Um, just, uh, just because. Which we don't see enough of, I feel like. Yeah. And I, yeah. And so, and so it's not to say that we're more, we're more similar than we are alike or <laughs> we're all human. Yeah. No, I'm saying that they were just two girls who were roommates and, and, and clicked as people. And I, and I loved both of them as individuals. Yeah. And how they, they were similar in the way that they both, like, made stupid decisions, but in ways that neither of them did, like, but never in the same way. And they were both so funny and so mm-hmm. clever and so natural. And it's also really good to see a show about about women of color in their 20s right because we have the insecure and kind of the women who you know the maulies of the world who have leveled up and the in and then the isas of the world who are so kind of trying to figure out what they're doing Mm -hmm. and it was cool to see a show about brown about black and brown girls who that i can relate to in that way Mm -hmm. so anyways that's my plus one I'm very happy with this conversation. Me too. I thought that it this felt therapeutic. Yes, for me. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> um, I want to. I want to th- thank Private Stock for having us. Yes. In their studio and for opening up their very studio nice. to us while mamas. we've been in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank you for making time for this because in the next yeah. few days you are leaving for New York and then yeah. I'll see you there. Literally like three days. But I was, when you hit me up, I was like, well, this is a, this will be a nice little send off. Like I totally, I'm glad we got to do this too. Cause yeah. I was very much so like, yeah, this will be, this will be a cool way to tie it up. Definitely. You know? Alrighty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.